Section two of In Our Convent Days. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In Our Convent Days by Agnes Replier. Marianus. I do not know how Marianus ever came to leave his native land, nor what turn of fate brought him to flutter the dovecotes of a convent school at eleven one does not often ask why things happen because nothing seems strange enough to provoke the question it was enough for me it was enough for all of us that one sunday morning he appeared in little peter's place lit the candles on the altar and served mass with decent and devout propriety our customary torpor of cold and sleepiness mass was at seven and the chapel unheeded yielded to a warm glow of excitement i craned my white veiled head we wore black veils throughout the week and white on sundays to see how elizabeth was taking this delightful novelty she was busy passing her prayer-book with something evidently written on the fly-leaf to emily goring on the bench ahead emily oblivious of consequences was making telegraphic signals to marie lily and viola milton knelt staring open-mouthed at the altar tony was giggling softly only annie churchill her eyes fixed on her ursuline manual was thumping her breast remorsefully in unison with the priest's mea maxima culpa there was something about annie's attitude of devotion which always gave one a distaste for piety breakfast afforded no opportunity for discussion at that spartan meal french conversation alone was permitted and even had we been able or willing to employ the hated medium there was practically no one to talk to by a triumph of monastic discipline we were placed at table at our desks and at church next to girls to whom we had nothing to say good girls with medals around their necks and blue or green ribbons over their shoulders who served as insulating mediums as non-conductors separating us from cheerful currents of speech and securing on the whole a reasonable degree of decorum i could not open my bursting heart to my neighbors who sat stolidly consuming bread and butter as though no wild light had dawned upon our horizon when one of them she is a nun now observed painstakingly j'espère que nous irons au bois après midi i said oui which was the easiest thing to say and conversation closed at that point we always did go to the woods on sunday afternoons unless it rained during the week the big girls the arrogant and unapproachable first course assumed possession of them as an exclusive right and left us only mulberry avenue in which to play prisoners base and saracens and crusaders but on sundays the situation was reversed and the second course was led joyously out to those sweet shades which in our childish eyes were vast as epping forest and as full of mystery as the schwarzwald no one could have valued this weekly privilege more than i did but the day was clear and we were sure to go i felt the vapid nature of mary rawdon's remark to be due solely to the language in which it was uttered all our inanities were spoken in french and those nuns who understood no other tongue must have conceived a curious impression of our intelligence 
there was a brief recreation of fifteen minutes at ten o'clock which sufficed for a rapturous exchange of confidences and speculations only those who have been at a convent school can understand how the total absence of man enriches him with a halo of illusion here we were seven absurdly romantic little girls living in an atmosphere of devout and rarefied femininity and here was a tall italian youth at least eighteen sent by a beneficent providence to thrill us with emotions was he going to stay we asked with bated breath was he going to serve mass every morning instead of peter we could not excite ourselves over peter who was a small freckle-faced country boy awkwardly shy and i should judge of a saturnine disposition we had met him once in the avenue and had asked him if he had any brothers or sisters nah was the reply i had a brother once but he died got out of it when he was a baby he was acute when he was a speech which i can only hope was not so schopenhauerish as it sounds and now in peter's place came this mysterious dark-eyed and altogether adorable stranger from beyond the seas annie churchill who for all her prayerfulness had been fully alive to the situation opined that he was an exile and the phrase smote us to the heart we had read elizabeth or the exile of siberia it was in the school library and here was a male elizabeth under our ravished eyes that's why i came to a convent continued annie following up her advantage to be hidden from all pursuit no doubt he did said tony breathlessly and we'll have to be very careful not to say anything about him to visitors we might be the occasion of his being discovered and sent back this thought was almost too painful to be borne upon our discretion depended perhaps the safety of a heroic youth who had fled from tyranny and cruel injustice i was about to propose that we should bind ourselves by a solemn vow never to mention his presence save secretly to one another when elizabeth not the siberian but our own unexiled elizabeth observed with that biting dryness which was the real secret of her ascendancy we'd better not say much about him anyway on our own account i mean which pregnant remark the bell for christian instruction ringing at that moment sent us silent and meditative to our desks so it was that marianus came to the convent and we gave him our seven young hearts with unresisting enthusiasm viola's heart indeed was held of small account she being only ten years old but elizabeth was twelve and marie and annie were thirteen ages ripe for passion and remote from the taunt of immaturity it was understood from the beginning that we all loved marianus with equal right and fervor we shared the emotion fairly and squarely just as we shared an occasional box of chocolate or any other benefaction it was our common secret our fatal secret we would have said and must be guarded with infinite precaution from a cold and possibly disapproving world but no one of us dreamed of setting up a private romance of her own of extracting from the situation more than one-sixth leaving viola out of its excitement and ecstasy we discovered in the course of time our exile's name and nationality 
it was the chaplain who told us and also that he was studying for the priesthood this last information coming from the mistress of recreation and being plainly designed to dull our interest from the start she added that he neither spoke nor understood anything but italian a statement which we determined to put to the proof as soon as fortune should favor us with the opportunity the possession of an italian dictionary became meanwhile imperative and we had no way of getting such a thing we couldn't write home for one because our letters were all read before they were sent out and any girl would be asked why she had made this singular request we couldn't beg our mothers even when we saw them for dictionaries of a language they knew we were not studying lily said she thought she might ask her father for one the next time he came to school there is a lack of intelligence or at least of alertness about fathers which makes them invaluable in certain emergencies but which on the other hand is apt to precipitate them into blunders mr milton promised the dictionary without putting any inconvenient questions though he must have been a little surprised at the scholarly nature of the request but just as he was going away he said loudly and cheerfully now what is it i am to bring you next time children mint candy and handkerchiefs your aunt helen says you must live on handkerchiefs and gloves for viola and a dictionary he was actually shaking hands with madame bouron the mistress-general as he spoke and she turned to lily and said lily have you lost your french dictionary as well as your handkerchiefs no madame said poor lily it's an italian dictionary she wants this time corrected mr milton evidently not understanding why viola was poking him viciously in the back lily is not studying italian none of the girls are said madame Baron, and then very slowly and with an emphasis which made two of her hearers quake lily has no need of an italian dictionary mr milton she had better devote more time and attention to her french i nearly fainted on the spot said lily describing the scene to us afterwards and father looked scared and got away as fast as he could and viola was red as a beet and i thought surely madame baron was going to say something to me but thank heaven eloise didier brought up her aunt to say good-bye and we slipped off do you think girls shall ask me what i wanted with an italian dictionary say you're going to translate dante in the holidays suggested tony with unfeeling vivacity say you're going to rome to see the pope said marie say you're such an accomplished french scholar it's time you turned your attention to something else said emily say you're making a collection of dictionaries said the imp viola lily looked distressed the humors of the situation were perhaps less manifest to her perturbed mind but elizabeth who had been thinking the matter over observed gloomily oh boots our opprobrious epithet for the mistress-general boots won't bother to ask questions she knows all she wants to know she'll just watch us and see that we never get a chance to speak to marianus it was bad enough before but it will be worse than ever now he might almost as well be in italy 
things did seem to progress slowly considering the passionate nature of our devotion never was there such an utter absence of opportunity from the ringing of the first bell at quarter past six in the morning to the lowering of the dormitory lights at nine o'clock at night we were never alone for a moment but moved in orderly squadrons through the various duties of the day mariana served mass every morning and on sundays assisted at vespers and benediction outside the chapel we never saw him he lived in germany a name given heaven knows why to a farmhouse on the convent grounds which was used as quarters for the chaplain and for visitors but though we cast many a longing look in its direction no dark italian head was ever visible at window or at door i believe my own share of affection was beginning to wither upon this persistent blight when something happened which not only renewed its fervor but which thrilled my heart with a grateful sentiment not wholly dead to-day it was may a month dedicated to the blessed virgin and fuller than usual of church-going processions and hymns we were supposed to be or at least expected to be particularly obedient and studious during these four weeks and by way of incentive each class had its candle tied with the class color and standing amid a lovely profusion of spring flowers on the madonna's altar there were six of them white for the graduates purple for the first class blue for the second red for the third green for the fourth and pink for the fifth the very little girls for whom the discipline of school life was mercifully relaxed all the candles were lighted every morning during mass unless some erring member of a class had by misconduct the day before forfeited the honor not only for herself but for her classmates these tapers were my special abhorrence the laudable determination of the third class to keep the red ribboned candle burning all month maddened me both by the difficulties it presented and by the meagre nature of the consequences involved i could not bring myself to understand why they should care whether it were lit or not to be sent downstairs to a deserted music-room there to spend the noon recreation hour in studying roman history or a french fable that was a penalty hard to avoid but easy to understand common sense and a love of enjoyment made it clear that no one should lightly run such risks but i had not imagination enough to grasp the importance of a candle more or less upon the altar it was useless to appeal to my love for the blessed virgin i loved her so well and so confidently i had placed my childish faith in her so long that no doubt of her sympathy ever crossed my mind my own mother might side with authority instead she represented the supreme infallible authority from which there was no appeal but in every trouble of my little gusty life the blessed mother sided with me of that thank heaven i felt sure this month my path was darkened by a sudden decision on elizabeth's part that our candles should not be once extinguished elizabeth to do her justice did not often incline to virtue but when she did there was a scant allowance of cakes and ale for any of us she never deviated from her chosen course and she never fully understood the sincere but fallible nature of our unkept resolutions i made my usual frantic futile effort to follow her lead with the usual melancholy failure 
Before the first week was over, I had come into collision with authority. It was a matter of arithmetic, which always soured my temper to the snapping point and the sixth of may saw five candles only burning at the veiled madonna's feet i sat angry and miserable while madame duncan who had charge of the altar lit the faithful five and retired with the radamanthine expression to her stall elizabeth at the end of the bench looked straight ahead with an expression or rather an enforced absence of expression which i perfectly understood she would not say anything, but nonetheless would her displeasure be made chillingly manifest. Mass had begun. The priest was leading the introit when Marianus lifted a roving eye upon the Blessed Virgin's altar. It was not within his province, he had nothing to do with its flowers or its tapers, but when did generous mind pause for such considerations? He saw that one candle, a candle with a drooping scarlet ribbon, was unlit and promptly rising from his knees he plunged into the sacristy reappeared with a burning wax end and repaired the error while we held our breaths with agitation and delight madame duncan's head was lowered in seemly prayer but the ripple of excitement communicated itself mysteriously to her and she looked up just as marianus had deftly accomplished his task for one instant she half rose to her feet and then the absurdity of reattacking the poor little red candle seemed to dawn on her she was an irish nun not destitute of humour and with a fleeting smile at me a smile in which there was as much kindness as amusement she resumed her interrupted devotions but i tucked my crimson face into my hands and my soul shouted with joy marianus our idol our exile the one true love of our six hearts had done this deed for me not only was i lifted from disgrace but raised to a preeminence of distinction for had i not been saved by him o true knight o chivalrous champion of the unhappy and oppressed when i recall that moment of triumph it is even now with a stir of pride and of something more than pride for i am grateful still that night that very night i was just sinking into sleep when a hand was laid cautiously upon my shoulder i started up it was too dark to see anything clearly but i knew that the shadow by my side was elizabeth come out into the hall she whispered softly you had better creep back of the beds don't make any noise and without a sound she was gone i slipped on my wrapper nightgowns gleamed so perilously white and with infinite precaution stole behind my sleeping companions each one curtained safely into her little muslin alcove at the end of the dormitory i was joined by another silent figure it was marie and very gently we pushed open the big doors the hall outside was flooded with moonlight and by the open window crouched a bunch of girls pressed close together so close it was hard to disentangle them a short gurgle of delight bubbled up from one little throat and was instantly hushed down by more prudent neighbors elizabeth hovered on the outskirts of the group and without a word she pushed me to the sill beneath leaning against a tree not thirty feet away stood marianus his back was turned to us and he was smoking we could see the easy grace of his attitude was he not an italian 
we could smell the intoxicating fragrance of his cigar happily unaware of his audience he smoked and contemplated the friendly moon and wondered perhaps why the fates had cast him on this desert island as remote from human companionship as crusoe's had he known of the six young hearts that had been given him unbidden it would probably have cheered him less than we imagined but to us it seemed as though our shadowy romance had taken form and substance the graceless daring of marianus in stationing himself beneath our windows or at least beneath a window to which we had possible access the unholy lateness of the hour verging fast upon half-past nine the seductive moonlight the ripe profligacy of the cigar what was wanting to this night's exquisite adventure as i knelt breathless in the shadow my head bobbing against violas and marie's i thought of italy of venice of child harold of everything that was remote and beautiful and unconnected with the trammels of arithmetic i heard annie churchill murmur that it was like a serenade i heard tony's whispered conjecture as to whether the silent serenader really knew where we slept than which nothing seemed less likely i heard elizabeth's warning hush whenever the muffled voices rose too high above the stillness of the sleeping convent but nothing woke me from my dream until marianus slowly withdrew his shoulder from the supporting tree and sauntered away without turning his head once in our direction we watched him disappear in the darkness then closing the window moved noiselessly back to bed who saw him first i asked at the dormitory window i did whispered elizabeth and i called them all i didn't intend letting viola know but of course sleeping next to lily she heard me she ought to be up in the holy child dormitory with the other little girls it's ridiculous having her following us about everywhere and indeed viola's precocious pertinacity made her a difficult problem to solve there are younger sisters who can be snubbed into impotence viola was no such weakling but now the story which we thought just begun was drawing swiftly to its close perhaps matters had reached a point when something had to happen yet it did seem strange it seemed strange even now that the crisis would have been precipitated by a poetic outburst on the part of elizabeth of all the six she was the least addicted to poetry she seldom read it and never spent long hours in copying it in a blank book as was our foolish and laborious custom she hated compositions and sternly refused the faintest touch of sentiment when compelled to express her thoughts upon the first snowdrop or my guardian angel or the execution of mary queen of scots tony wrote occasional verses of a personal and satiric character which we held to sparkle with abiding wit annie churchill had once rashly shown to lily and to me some feeble lines upon the evening star deep hidden in my desk unseen by mortal eyes save mine lay an impassioned soliloquy of jane eyre in blank verse which was almost volcanic in its fervour and which perished the following year unmourned because unknown to the world but elizabeth had never shown the faintest disposition to write anything that could be left unwritten 
until mariana stirred the waters of her soul that night that moonlit night and the dark figures smoking in the shadows cast their sweet spell upon her with characteristic promptness she devoted her french study hour the following afternoon to the composition of a poem which was completed when we went to class and which she showed me secretly while we were scribbling our dictee there were five verses headed to marianus and beginning gracefully up the long aisle he glides which was a poetic license as the chapel aisle was short and marianus had never glided up it since he came he always in virtue of his office entered by the sacristy door but realism was then as little known in literature as in art and poetry was not expected to savor of statement rather than emotion elizabeth's masterpiece expressed in glowing numbers the wave of sentiment by which we were submerged before night it had passed swiftly from hand to hand and before night the thunderbolt had fallen whose rashness was to blame i do not now remember but thank heaven it was not mine someone's giggle was too unsuppressed someone thrust the paper too hurriedly into her desk or dropped it on the floor or handed it to someone else in a manner too obviously mysterious not to arouse suspicion i only know that it fell into the hands of little madame david who had the eyes of a ferret in the heart of a mouse and who being unable to read a word of english sent it forth to madame bouron i only know that after that brief and unsatisfactory glimpse in french class i never saw it again which is why i can now recall but one line out of twenty a circumstance i devoutly regret it was a significant proof of madame bouron's astuteness that without asking any questions or seeking any further information she summoned six girls to her study that evening after prayers she had only the confiscated poem in elizabeth's writing as a clue to the conspiracy but she needed nothing more there we were all duly indicted save viola whose youth while it failed to protect us from the unsought privilege of her society saved her as a rule from any retributive measures her absence on this occasion was truly a comfort as her presence would have involved the added and most unmerited reproach of leading a younger child into mischief viola was small for her age and had appealing brown eyes there was not a nun in the convent who knew her for the imp she was lily gay sweet simple generous and unselfish seemed as wax in her little sister's hands there were six of us then to bear the burden of blame and madame bouron sitting erect in the lamplight apportioned it with an unsparing hand her fine face she was coldly handsome but we did not like her well enough to know it expressed contemptuous displeasure her words conveyed an exaggerated confidence in our guilt of elizabeth's verses she spoke with icy scorn she had not been aware that so gifted a writer graced the school but the general impropriety of our behavior was unprecedented in the annals of the convent that we members of the society of st aloysius should have shown ourselves so unworthy of our privileges and so forgetful of our patron was a surprise even to her though she was frankness itself she had never entertained a good opinion either of our dispositions or of our intelligence 
the result of such misconduct was that the chaplain's assistant must leave at once and forever not that he had ever wasted a thought upon any girl in the school his heart was set upon the priesthood young though he was he had already suffered for the church his father had fought and died in defence of the holy see his home had been lost he was a stranger in a far land and now he must be driven from the asylum he had sought because we could not be trusted to behave with that modesty and discretion which had always been the fairest adornment of children reared within the convent's holy walls she hoped that we would understand how grievous was the wrong we had done and that even our callous hearts would bleed when we went to our comfortable beds and reflected that because of our wickedness and folly a friendless and pious young student was once more alone in the world it was over we trailed slowly up to the dormitory too bewildered to understand the exact nature of our misdoing the most convincing proof of our mental confusion is that our own immaculate innocence never occurred to any of us we had looked one night out the window at marianus and elizabeth had written the five amorous verses that was all not one of us had spoken a word to the object of our affections not one of us could boast a single glance given or received we had done nothing yet so engrossing had been the sentiment so complete the absorption of the past two months that we living in a children's world of illusions passionate after dreams and unconcerned about realities had deemed ourselves players of parts actors in an unsubstantial drama intruders into the realms of the forbidden we accepted this conviction with meekness untempered by regret but we permitted ourselves a doubt as to whether our iniquity were wholly responsible for the banishment of marianus the too strenuous pointing of a moral breeds scepticism in the youthful soul when squire martin of our grandfather's reading books assured billy freeman that dogs and turkey-cocks were always affable to children who studied their lessons and obeyed their parents that innocent little boy must have soon discovered for himself that virtue is but a weak bulwark in the barnyard we too had lost implicit confidence in the fine adjustments of life and upon this occasion we found comfort in incredulity on the stairs elizabeth remarked to me in a gloomy undertone that marianus could never have intended to stay at the convent anyhow and that he probably had been sent for she did not say whence or by whom but the mere suggestion was salve to my suffering soul it enabled me at least to bear the sight of annie churchill's tears when ten minutes later that weak-minded girl slid into my alcove as if we were not in trouble enough already and sitting forlornly on my bed asked me in a stifled whisper did i think that marianus was really homeless and couldn't we make up a sum of money and send it to him how much have you got i asked her curtly the complicated emotions through which i had passed had left me in a savage humour and the peculiar infelicity of this proposal might have irritated st aloysius himself we were not allowed the possession of our own money though in view of the fact that there was ordinarily nothing to buy with it extravagance would have been impossible every thursday afternoon the bazaar was opened 
our purses carefully marked with name and number were handed to us and we were at liberty to purchase such uninteresting necessities as writing-paper stamps blank books pencils and sewing materials the sole concession to prodigality was a little pile of pious pictures small french prints ornamented with lace paper which it was our custom to give one another upon birthdays and other festive occasions they were a great resource in church where prayer-books copiously interleaved with these works of art were passed to and fro for mutual solace and refreshment all these things were as well known to annie as to me but she was too absorbed in her grief to remember them she mopped her eyes and said vacantly that she thought she had a dollar and a half i have seventy-five cents i said and elizabeth hasn't anything she spent all her money last thursday we might be able to raise five dollars among us if you think that much would be of any use to marianus all you have to do is to ask madame baron for our purses and for his address and see if she would mind our writing and sending it to him annie impervious at all times to sarcasm looked dazed for a moment her wet blue eyes raised piteously to mine then you think we couldn't manage it she asked falteringly but i plunged my face into my wash-basin as a hint that the conversation was at an end i too needed the relief of tears and was waiting impatiently to be alone for marianus had gone of that at least there was no shadow of doubt we should never see him again and life seemed to stretch before me in endless gray reaches of grammar and arithmetic and french conversation of getting up early in the morning uncheered by the thought of seeing marianus serve mass of going to bed at night with never another glance at that dark shadow in the moonlight i felt that for me the page of love was turned for ever the one romance of my life was past i cried softly and miserably into my pillow and resolved as i did so that the next morning i would write on the fly leaves of my new french prayer-book and my thomas a kempis the lines tis better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all End of section two.